text in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, out at the, at the resource table. And that if you don't own one, we would love to be able to give you a Bible that you can have, that you can take with you. Uh, so if you don't have one, just go ahead, stand up, uh, go in the back and get a Bible. Um, they're, they're there for you. And uh, they're at the, at the table in the back, uh, out in the hallway. You can get those. So 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're starting a new series uh, for the next five weeks. And really, this series is going to be a, a bunch of different conversations um, that we're going to have as we look at, at Scripture. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks and look at David. Uh, but it's going to be conversations about this whole idea of Plan B. How many of you are familiar with that term, Plan B? Any, anybody here? Yeah? It's like, uh, this was my plan, that didn't turn out, so now it's on to Plan B, and some of you are on Plan C, Plan D, Plan E. Uh, a lot of times we have this plan in our life, um, and we, we, we have this dream, we have this, we have this thing that we're chasing, and it's our dream, and somehow that gets detoured, and sometimes that gets shattered. And so what do we do, and how do we handle shattered dreams? But I think before we even talk to that, we need to talk about, is it a shattered dream? And what does God want to do in and through that? Uh, so that's where we're going to start this morning. And in, in, in 1 Samuel, it is a great story. And if you're not a Bible reader, uh, this may be a good opportunity for you to start reading the Bible, because I love the Old Testament. Because some of the things you find in the Old Testament, you're like going, wow, I can't believe that's in there. I can't believe that happened. Um, I imagine that if um, if First Samuel was a what uh, was a movie, it would be rated R for sure, uh, because of all the stuff that's happening in this movie, uh, in this in the Bible. In the, see, I'm already thinking that you know, uh, but it, it is just a great story, and it draws you in, and it's one of those stories that people kind of know, but they don't know part of the other story because they haven't read. Uh, maybe you, And I want to kind of refresh that for you And I'm going to kind of tell you some of the story today But then I'm going to read some of the other story in 1 Samuel But we all have dreams, right? We, some dreams are big dreams Some dreams are small dreams Some things that we hope and we wish for Some dreams are in our control Some dreams are not in our control And, um, you know, for me uh, One of my, my dreams since 1967 uh, I guess, maybe 68. One of my dreams, I thought I was so close last year. Oh, it was heart-wrenching, uh, and I don't even know what's going to happen this year. But one of my dreams is to have my team win the Super Bowl. And number four has been my hope. You know, I, I didn't like him when he was a Packer. He was my enemy at that point. But you know how God says, love your enemies. So I love my enemy now because he's with the Vikings. And my, my dream, and it seems like last year, it just, you know, when you, I don't know if you like that, but you have this thing, you see it so close, and all of a sudden you just kind of like see it stripped away from you. That's how I felt last year during the playoffs. And then last, night, last Monday night watching the game, I'm going, oh, guys, this is, a, you know, far. He, he's not going to play another year. I just know the guy's like old. He's like 40. He's like my age almost. You know, he's old. He can't hang in there. Let's, let's take advantage of this. And, I, you know, and, and I'm, my Yankees, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a mess. With my Yankees and the Vikings this next week, I, I'm a mess. Just so be praying for me, right? Um, you know, I had dreams when I was in college that maybe I could make it on the um, world-class Frisbee circuit. I thought, how awesome would that be that people get paid to play Frisbee? And, you know, I, and I, got, I have some moves. That dream never really panned out for me. Um, when, I was in, um, when I was in high school, my dream, my plan all through high school 
was to move to Colorado, become a corporate lawyer, make a bunch of money, live in the mountains, and retire. And um, that worked out well. You can see. Um, you know, I still I get a debate still and all that. But you know, my dream then to move up and I worked for a corporation. This is actually a suit that I wore. I had I have seven of them, uh, different colors, different ties. You know, but my dream was to wear the red power tie, wear a nice suit. And, and maybe that's part of your dream is, you know, the corporate thing or the job thing is making a career and making that career just an incredible thing. I don't know what uh, your dream is for you, but eventually um, we all have dreams. We all have wishes. We all have goals that just don't happen. Sometimes, sometimes it's clearly our fault because of things that we do or things we don't do. We've made poor decisions or we've taken the wrong path. Other times, our plan B's, or our, our you know, because then if we don't plan A doesn't work out, we go to plan B. Um, our, our plan B's and our unmet expectations seemingly happen because of someone else's poor decision, right? Maybe it's a boss, and they decided something for you and you had no control over. Maybe it's an employer that they decided something for you, like you're no longer going to work here. And um, so you had to go to, to plan B. Sometimes, honestly, it's a combination of things. Um, sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's somebody else's fault. And sometimes, if you're like me, you may go down a path going, it's God's fault. I, I think this is God's fault. Or, and, and maybe it's just no one's fault. Maybe, you know, things just happen. Stuff happens in life, right? And it's nobody's fault. You know, some of you have had a dream of maybe um, taking your life and finishing it with a partner. And you, and you, and you hope... You, you hope that someday this is my this is my soulmate this is my partner and someday if you look very really closely actually somebody made these these are actually Merrily and I uh, that somebody made this is baptizing Brett and equipping the saints Merrily is what they call them but um I got a little butt crack show in there better tighten that up <laughs> yeah, six pack look at that it's really and it's true it look it looks just like me <laughs> ah. But some of you, that was your dream, the Ken and Barbie, you know, to do that. And, and something happened, and, and now you're left without that dream. An unmet expectation of, 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 what, you, of what you wanted. Um, some of you, um, maybe your dream was to, was to have a child, to have a kid, and, and no matter what's happened in your life, you, you haven't been able to. You haven't been able to get pregnant. There's just things that have happened that you have not been able to have that child, and it's an unmet expectation. It's a dream of yours, and you don't understand why it's not happening. Some of you, you've had a career dream. You've convinced that God wanted you to go. Some, maybe God convinced you that you wanted to go into ministry, and you're convinced you were supposed to do ministries and do some type of professional ministry, but doors just haven't opened up. And the doors that did open up, it just ended in disaster for you. You're convinced you're going to make it in, by writing a book, maybe. Maybe that was your deal. I'm going to write a book, I'm going to get a book contract, and it's not happening. Maybe you, you have these things, and you're stuck in a job, and, and nothing has changed there. Some of you, you're single, and you desperately want to be married, and it's not happening. And you're always in somebody else's wedding, but never yours, right? Always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. And, and we can kind of laugh at that, but if that's you, you know that that sucks, and you don't like it, right? You're going, that, that's my life, and that's, I desperately want 
to be married. Maybe for you, having kids, and you were hoping that your parents would be around, that they'd be the grandparents that you wanted, and maybe one of your parents have, has died, and one of your, your kids don't get to experience what it is to have uh, both grandparents around. Um, maybe you're young and you have health issues. You go, I'm in my 20s. What in the world is going on? I'm supposed to be, these are supposed to be good years of my life. Even in your 30s, and all of a sudden something happens health-wise, and you just go, wow, this is an unmet expectation. This isn't the dream that I had for my life. This isn't what I, I, I thought it was going to be. We all have a picture of what we want our future to look like, what we thought our future would look like. And when it doesn't happen, a lot of times we become angry. And to make matters worse is you look around and you feel like everyone else is achieving their dreams. We look around, it looks like everyone else's dream is coming true but ours, and everyone else is getting married. Everyone else is having kids. Everyone else is successful. Everyone is happy in their marriage but me. Everyone else is healthy, but I'm not. So here's the question. What do we do with shattered dreams? And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be really upfront and honest with you. There's no easy answer to this. There's no scripture, magic scripture I'm going to give you today that's going to fix this, and you're going to leave here going, woo, yeah, all right. You're not, you know, chances are even coming here today, you're not going to even feel better when you leave because I'm not going to give you an answer to this question of what, what do you do with shattered dreams or how do you, how do you heal the shattered dreams. Um, you know, like I said, the next five weeks, we're going to be going on a series of conversations we're going to have to help us cope with this because let's just be honest. We all have shattered dreams of the what-ifs and buts and all these things that we thought were going to happen, this picture of our life that we thought it hasn't happened. No matter what has happened, no matter how you feel, please know this. You are not alone. Because here's what I'm learning, and I've learned it, you know, I've been learning this whole time. Everyone needs healing. There is no exception to that. Everyone needs healing. We all have a picture of the way that life should be. And for some of the picture that our way our life should be, and the, here's, the, here's the picture and here's the reality, it's just a reminder to you that life is not turning out the way that you had hoped it would turn out. Your sh life and your, your season, I should say, of shattered dreams and expectations has led some of you to even struggle with this question. Does God really exist? Because if he really existed, this wouldn't be happening because I had a God-given dream. I, my, my dream is God-honoring, and he's not doing it. So does he really exist? For me, I don't wrestle with that question as much as I wrestle with uh, a question that it, it surfaces over and over for me again. And it, much, it has to do a lot with the unexplainable pain and, and the hurt that I see in the world. The greatest struggle for me is not does God exist, and, and, but you see all this pain and suffering. The greater struggle with me, the greater question that I have that I'm unable to reconcile sometimes is there's two seemingly unmixable component, components. A God who's all-loving in a world that is full of pain and shattered dreams. How do you reconcile those two things? How do you reconcile that? Because this God's all loving, but yet there's shattered dreams and pain everywhere I look. So what do you do? So here's the question. What do you do with the shattered dreams? What do you do with the unmet expectation? What do you do when God doesn't show up the way you thought he would or should? Now, I do believe the answer to that is, is in the Bible. That's in Scripture. 
what do you do with shattered dreams? What do you do when you have to turn to plan B? I read this book this last summer by Pete Wilson called Plan B, and that's where the, it just started all these things thinking for me. I said, I need to teach this. I need to teach this. This is good stuff. I need to teach this. So this is where this is coming from. But what do you do when you have to turn to plan B where it's unanswered in Scripture and when you can't find the answer because it's there? The Bible speaks, it actually speaks a lot about this. The Bible is full of stories where people find themselves in very similar situations. So, again, if you have your Bibles, let's crack open 1 Samuel chapter 21. And let me give you the background to where we're going to start first. And let me just tell you right up front that the background to this story is a lot longer than the story itself. But I need to give you the background so you kind of understand uh, what this hap- what, what is happening here. And most of us have heard this story before. We know the story. We've taught the story. Even if you haven't gone to church much, you've heard this story. So when David, he, he, David in, in, Sam, in 1 Samuel, David is this, is this little boy, teenage boy. Uh, he's, he's out, he he's, works for his dad. He's, he has a lot of brothers. Uh, and he's, he's, the, he's the sheep herder of the family. He's a sheep boy because he's probably the youngest, can't do much else. So they put him out with, with the sheep. So David's a teenager, and this man named Samuel, who is a prophet, uh, shows up one day because God says, I need a new king because back in 1 Samuel, one of my favorite stories, Saul loses his kingship because he disobeys God. And God said, would I rather have um, sacrifice or would I rather have obedience from you? Because Samuel says, I'd rather, I'm going to sacrifice to you, God. And God says, no, 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 I want your obedience. I want you to do what I told you to do. Don't we all want that as parents, right? If you're a parent, yeah? We want the obedience. We don't care about the sacrifice. And so God kind of removes his blessing on Saul. And he comes to Samuel the prophet saying, you need to go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to show you who's going to be the next king. And so Samuel heads to Jesse's house, and, and all, the, all the brothers come trooping in, and, and Samuel's sitting there looking at all the brothers, and God says, nope, not that one, nope, not that one, nope, not that one. Um, and they said, he said, do you have any other sons? He goes, yeah, we have, you know, the youngest. He's the runt of the litter. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel says, call him in. They call David in, and God speaks to Samuel. And he says to Samuel, he's the one. Anoint him. So here's David, a teenage boy, just moments ago out sheep herding. And Samuel now anoints him king over Israel. And... Um, he picked him over all of his brothers. David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Now, this seems strange to David for a couple of reasons because they already had a king named Saul. Not everybody knew that God removed his blessing. You know, obviously Samuel did, but not everyone knows. They, they, we, he and Saul's the king, and not even to mention that Saul has a son named Jonathan. And so, if something does happen to Saul, it's obvious that Jonathan is going to fall into his father's footsteps. So, beyond that, it really doesn't add up why David would be anointed king. David is the youngest, he's the smallest, he's the runt in his family. Samuel leaves, and everybody goes to their, about their regular business. David goes back sheep herding up in the hills. And a kind of interesting thing that happens is Saul starts being tormented, and the only way that he can kind of deal with the torment is by somebody playing music for him. And since David has a lot of time on his hands out in the field, he's playing his harp, bling, bling, and it's really nice to the ears. And so he actually goes to work for Saul to soothe him. David, anointed king, the king, and David's playing music for the anointed king. And he's going back and forth between David and his father's house, back and forth. But basically, everybody's going on with their business. Nobody's thinking of, it. Nobody's thinking of this thing. Well, what happens is, um, and, and, and it, it, although it seems Saul, everybody goes back to their own stuff, and you know, and you can imagine David, he's sitting out in the field. You know, he's playing his harp to his sheep, you know. I'm a lonely sheep boy, sheep 
sheep. And he, and he's, I don't know what he's singing. That's, that song's not in the Bible, by the way, if you want to look it up. Um, and, and, he, and he's there, and you can imagine that probably every once in a while, David goes back to that point when Samuel came. He says, what if it were true? What if it was true that I was anointed king over Israel? What, how, what, what if the old, what if that old dude was right? What if that guy was right? It can't be, because look at me. I'm sitting here playing my harp to sheep, you know? So he probably forgets about it, goes about his day. Well, what happens is, time goes by, and one day David goes out uh, to where the Israelites are fighting. There's this big fight that's happening, and David's dad calls him and said, hey, your son, my sons are out there fighting. I need you to come in from the field, and you need to go get these guys lunch because they're hungry. You need to go out there. Here's some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Go and, and go feed, go feed your brothers out there. And so David goes out to where the fighting is, thinking, "Wow, this is gonna be cool. I get to go out and see the fighting. Get to see all this cool stuff." He gets out there. There's nothing going on. There's no fighting going. On. Everybody's just sitting around. Every once in a while, this big giant dude comes out and starts yelling at him, "Hey, you know, your mom wears combat boots. You know, Israelites. Oh, you know." He's like taunting him and he's yelling at him. You know, I wouldn't date your sister if you paid me. You know, he's trying to get him to fight. And they're just like sitting there going, "Huh, oh, we're not going to fight." And David goes, "Why won't you fight?" He goes, "He's too big. He's too. He's no way." And David's looking around, going, "Bunch of wimps. I'll I'll take him on." So the story goes, David goes out there, gets a slingshot, he gets some rocks out of the river, takes a slingshot, and whips it around, whack, smacks the guy right in the forehead, falls down, dead. One shot, kill, it's a kill shot, man, just drops him, dead. And then the story, this is, this is the coolest part, this is why God put this in there for the guys. This is the coolest part. So the guy's dead, and David kills him again. He goes and takes Goliath's sword, which is probably huge, he goes and takes Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is such a guy story. He takes his head, chops it off, and not only does he take his head and chops it off, you know what he does? He takes his head with him and carries it around all over the place with him. How awesome is that? I mean, that's just, that's just one of those things that, you know, don't mess with David, you know. He's a, and, so, and you can imagine, David becomes this national hero. He goes, and, and nobody, nobody says, oh, look, at the sheep boy. Nobody sees him as a sheep boy anymore. They know him as a hero. He's got the paparazzi following him around. People are writing songs about him. You know, I would, too, if he's carrying the head around, right? You know, he's got the head, you know. I don't know how long he carried the head around. I imagine it kind of got a little, you know, smelly. But, but King Saul sees this, and what he does, he's trying to keep David close to him. So he, he commends him. And Saul says, there's a bunch to that story you can read if you want. And Saul says, you know what? I want to I honor you. You've done such a good job for us. I want you to marry my daughter. Now David's thinking this. Gosh, way back when I was a teenager, maybe the old dude was right. I was just a shepherd days ago. Now I'm a national hero. The king loves me, and he wants me to marry his daughter. I'm so in. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know the whole thing, you know, Jonathan and all that. But man, I'm going to be related to the king. Man, things are lining up. It looks like it's going to happen like that guy said. Let me pause for a second. Because I don't want this just to be a story that you listen to. I want you to interject yourself into these circumstances. Because you have been there. 
you have been in that place where it seems like everything is falling into place. Everything looks like it's shaping up for your dream to become a reality. All the circumstances are lining up perfectly. And it looks like your dream is going to happen. You know, you, you, you signed the book deal. You, you got the promotion. You met the guy of your dreams. The pregnancy test came back positive. Your spouse agreed to go to marriage counseling. And you're going, oh, this can't happen to me, but it's happening. And up to this point, I'm not even sure David put a lot of stake in this whole becoming a king dream. You know, I'm going like, okay, that's just some of this old guy. He was like off his rocker. I don't know what it was. But now it's possible. Now this might happen. But then things start to change. David starts to notice that things are a little different with him and Saul. It seems like there's a little bit of relational conflict happening between him and Saul. And he's not sure what the deal is, that something has changed, but is he still playing the harp for Saul? You know, here, here's this anointed king playing, you know, music for the king, and he, one day he's in there, and then Saul throws a spear at David, tries to kill him. And now David's convinced something is wrong, you know? Um, you go, Saul, Saul became jealous of David, and the light bulb went on for David. Yep, definite problem here. And, uh, and everything has changed. Now Jonathan, who is Saul's son, Goes to David and says, dude, you got to get out of here. My dad's going to kill you. He's not going to stop at anything. He's just going to do whatever it takes to get rid of you. In a matter of moments, David senses that the dream of becoming king is slipping away. And so he freaks out. So out of fear, listen, out of fear, he takes off for the border. And he feels a lot like we do when we feel the dream is slipping away. And the key word here is feel he doesn't feel like god is with him he doesn't feel like the dream is going to happen as a matter of fact he feels like god is toying with him just letting him get close enough to his dream and then shutting the door on him and now he's a fugitive and where is god and and if he does exactly and he does exactly what i have done david does exactly what i have done so many times in this situation he panics. You see, the dream is slipping away, and he's trying to grasp onto the dream, and it's just slipping out of his fingers. The tighter he holds onto it, the faster it flows out of his hand. And he, what he does, he turns his back on God and tries to take things into his own hands. He tries to take control of his own life. You know, I think most of us, what we do, is we try to tend to, to have our lives like a marionette puppet, don't we? That's what we do. We, want, we, we think, okay, well, this, you know, well, if I, if I move this string, you know, and control this, this will control the finances. If I do this, this will control my, my marriage. If I, if I pull this string, this will control my kids. This will control my job situation. And we think we're in control, right, that we can do whatever we want because we're the ones pulling the strings, moving the strings around. And we think we can control it. Oh, he's turned around even. Look at that. There's another illustration for you. We're all turned around sometimes. You know, we just think, man, if I just work hard enough at pulling the right string, if I just pray long enough, eventually I'll be able to, here's the word, I will be able to manipulate the circumstance for my benefit. Listen, control is the greatest of all illusions. We are in love with this illusion. I, I, 
you know, I like control. I like it when I know where God is going, exactly what he's going to do, the exact route of how we are going to get there, exactly when we will arrive. But it's an illusion. We're not in control. Let's look at the story. Again, that was the background of the story. We're going to get to the story now. We're going to pick it up. David's running, all right? He's trying to manipulate. You're going to see him trying to manipulate, trying to watch him control the situation. 1 Samuel chapter 21, he's leaving the country, and he stops in this town called Nob, you know, and, and the town is in, it's where all the priests live. This is, this is the, the priestly town. Verse 1, David went to Nob to Amalek, the priest. Amalek trembled when he met David because I know that dude. He's a national. He's the one with, 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 with Samson head. He's, he's, I know that dude. That's Samson. Um, Goliath head. He carries him around. He's, yeah, I know him. I, you know, we know that guy. And I'm going to tell you why he knows that guy in a minute. He said, he asked David, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? See, this is strange. David is a national hero. He shouldn't be alone. He knows how important David is and just wondering, dude, where's your entourage? Imagine this. You're home, and there's a knock at your door, and I don't know, Lady Gaga shows up at your door, Britney Spears shows up at your door, and why they would show up at your door, I have no idea. And they show up at your door, and they're all alone, and there's nobody with them. They're by themselves, and you know Lady Gaga because she probably has some weird outfit on, uh, you know, whatever it is or whoever it is. And what do you do when they show up all alone? Well, probably you should probably pray, you know, that, what do I do? You know, you know, sorry about that. I don't know why I'm talking about that. Anyway, um, but imagine that. Some famous celebrity that should have paparazzi, should have all this, this entourage with them, shows up at your door all alone. Wouldn't you kind of go, this is a little bit strange. This is weird. What, what, what is going on here? And this is what's happening with David. And here's what David's going to do. He's going to begin to lie and manipulate the situation because the dream is slipping out of his hand and he's trying to control the dream. David answered Amalek, the priest. Here's the lie. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one's to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. David lies. He's so scared because the king threw a spear at him. Jonathan comes to him and said, hey, he's going to kill you. You need to leave. And David's saying, I was going to be king. Now I'm not going to be king. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe God was wrong. God's just messing with me. It's out of control. I don't believe any. I'm running. And so he's so desperate to manipulate the situation that he keeps lying. He does what, what he knows is, listen, he does what he knows is wrong in order to keep his dream, his plan alive. And I'm going to, I just need to tell you this. Write this down because this is something you need to understand. And this, this is mind-boggling. I'm going to tell you, don't abandon your God-given principles to maintain the blessing of God. You know, these principles that God gives us, sometimes we, 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 we abandon these principles because we think we're trying to hold on to, to God's dream. Let me, let me put it this way. Don't abandon your God-given values in the pursuit of your God-given dreams. You said, that doesn't even make sense. Yes, it does. And you know it does, because you know people that have done that. They have given up their principles. They have given up their values because they're going after what God told them to. And sometimes it is God, but they're not waiting, willing to wait for God. They want to control it themselves. See, David, 
Here's what he does, and this doesn't, it talks about this in verses 3 to 8, that he asks for the bread, and, he, and the priest says, the only bread we have here is that bread that has been consecrated to God. And David says, I don't care, give it to me. David knows he shouldn't be eating that bread. It is, it is for the Lord. It is consecrated as an offering. David says, I don't care about the principles of that. Just give it to me because I need food. David knows, and David doesn't care. Um, he lies more, and he manipulates more. And, and, and the thing that happens is while he's there, it's really interesting. Saul's servant is there. Is that one of Saul's servants is there. And it says this in, in the scripture. It says, the Lord detains Saul's servant in Nob. I find that interesting. Going, why would God detain Saul's servant there? And I believe it's so he sees David. Because he wants David, he wants him to see David, what David's doing, and knows that David's there, because you'll find out why. Verse 8 in chapter 21. David asked Amalek, Do not, don't you have a spear or a sword? I, have, I, I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon, because the king's business was urgent. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The priest replied, and this is so funny. The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Eli, is still here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. Isn't it interesting? The only sword in this whole village is the sword David used to kill Goliath. Listen to the suspense in that moment. If this is where a movie, this is where the music would go, on, and it'd start ramping up, where the whole thing would come, and you're going to see this incredible thing. The only sword we have is the one we keep on display. It's the one that you, David, the shepherd boy, used to kill the giant, Goliath. See, this sword, they had it on display because this sword became an icon of God's faithfulness in David's life. This is a light bulb moment for David. But it's not. Because he's so wrapped up in his lying and manipulation that he doesn't see that. This is an icon that God is on your side. You don't have to lie. You don't have to steal. This should have been David's clue to why, why have I abandoned God? Why am I running? Why am I taking things back into my own hands? If God was faithful then, why wouldn't he be faithful now? Why am I lying and trying to take matters into my own hands? That should have been the moment that David got it. But instead, here's what he said. There is none like it. Give it to me. Wow. He doesn't remember. He doesn't choose to remember. God's faithfulness and what God was doing and what God has done in his life. Let me tell you a quick story about me. Um, you know, this is one of the times in my life where I happen to get it right. Because there's a lot of times I don't get it right because I don't remember. And I have a tendency to hang on to things that remind me of God's faithfulness and what God has called me to do. I, I carry things around, like, like things like this and, and treasures that I have that remind me of God's faithfulness because I have to continually have icons in my life to remember God's faithfulness. In year 2001, we were beginning uh, this church, and this church came out of another situation of a church, and I was at that time kind of an interim pastor of, of this thing. There's two things that happened. One, I, the person that was in charge of the search committee of, the, of looking for a new pastor of the church 
uh, was wanted to meet with me. And because they were getting ready to leave, and I went and met with him and his wife, and I spent probably five, six hours at his house. It was just me and his wife, and he told me how bad a person I was. He told me that God's call was not on my life. He told me that I screwed things up, that I should never have come, I should never have been hired by the church in the first place. He told me that I had no business in ministry. He told me all of these things. For five, six hours, I sat there and just listened. You know what I felt like when I left? I felt like I had no place in ministry. I felt like I shouldn't have been doing this. I felt like I heard God's word wrong. I felt like I was not, that I'm going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was done. I got home, went to bed. Next morning, I got up, and I happened to find on my desk, I was going through my desk, you know, because I was going through this mode, saying, I'm getting ready to clean everything off. I'm just, I'm just done. I opened up a letter that a person, because I had done youth ministry for several years prior, a letter that a girl from the youth group had written me. And she just told me how incredible it was and what her life was like now because of my input into her life. How her life has been changed. How God had used me. How God has shown me. And I, and I started remembering all the other people, all the other youth, all the other people that I had invested my life into and what God was doing through that. And at that moment, you know what I did? I did the right thing. I chose to believe God, saying, you know what, that God, that wasn't your plan. That was maybe something to help me get confidence in what I'm doing. Two months later, I'm at a convention for a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, it was a denominational thing I went to, and we're at this denominational thing, and they put everybody in this room together, and the leader of this denomination came to me and said, you have no business starting the church. And he basically said, I'm going like, God, what is it? But you know what I did? I remembered that letter. I remembered the faces of those that I had input in their life, and their lives were changed. The faces of those people who had gathered alongside me, who were at this meeting with me, the 12 or so people that said, we believe in you, we will follow, we will do this, we believe God, and that is what got me through. Because I remembered some of those things. I remembered God's faithfulness in the past. I don't always do that. That was one time that I did. And I'm so glad I did. I wouldn't be here. I believe God would still move. But it's one of those things that we remember that, and that, I, that I just kind of take a hold of. And I got it right. And let me just tell you this, that if you don't have a systematic way to remember God's past faithfulness, you're going to have a hard time trusting Him with your future challenges. You've got to remember the past in order to have hope for the future. We all live with icons of God's faithfulness in us. We all do. In our worst moments, if we would just pause and remember God's faithfulness, what a difference that would make. you got a picture maybe that reminds you of a time that God worked in your life. you got a relationship that is a testament to God's care in your life. But here's what happens. In, in the midst of the chaos, David forgets. From here, from Nob, he, he runs to this town called Gath. He gets to Gath and realizes, I'm not safe here anyway, either. Uh, I'm on foreign territory. So he does what he has done before when he is fearful that his dream is slipping away. He lies and he manipulates, and he pretends to be insane so the king of Gath won't kill him. And it's crazy, you read this, and he's running around like a madman. He, got, he has drool coming down his face. He's like... And he's, I don't know what he's doing, knocking his head on the wall, talking to himself. I don't know exactly what David's doing, but he's pretending that he's crazy, that he's insane. And the king goes, 
That's not the David that I knew. He poses no threat to us. Just let that madman go. Surely he is mad. And David continues to lie and manipulate and run while abandoning the God that he could have trusted. So, here's the question. What do you do? What is your pattern when it looks like your dreams are not going to come true? When your dreams are slipping away, what happens on the inside of you? Do you start to lie and manipulate to get what you want? Maybe you reach for the bottle. Maybe you pop some pills. Maybe you light up a pipe and you go for the crack or whatever it is. Maybe for you, 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 you overeat. Do you retaliate? Do you try to hurt them back? Do you turn your back on God? How do you respond when your dreams are being crushed? When your hope disappoints? When your dream slips away? How do you respond? You see, I believe David is making a huge mistake. The same mistake that many of us uh, have made in our lifetimes. He assumes, this is what he does, he assumes he understands God and his ways. He thinks he knows what God should be doing. And when God doesn't handle things the way he expected or he expects, David just gives up. Listen, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble when we assume God must think and feel as we do. It's just going to plain get us into trouble. Let me tell you how part of the story ends. Um, the guy that was detained uh, in, in Nob by, by God, one of Saul's servants, that was detained, he runs, and he tells, he tells Saul what's going on. Saul finds out that David had been to Nob, and he finds out that Amalek had fed him, and that Amalek had armed him. So he goes to a question, Amalek. He said, did you help David? And Amalek says, well, of course I did. I thought he was on a mission for you. Isn't he your son-in-law? You know what Saul does? He ends up killing Amalek and about 85 other priests along with all their families. Amalek does have a son, though, that escapes and he finds David and he tells David what happens to all the people of Nob and to his family. Because you lied and because you manipulated David. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 22. David all of a sudden comes to this light bulb moment and finally it shines. Here's what David says. I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. David woke up. In that moment, something changed inside of David. And for the rest of his life, he carried this memory, which we're going to see next week, of hundreds of people being slaughtered because of his actions. In that moment, David came to the conclusion, my way is not working. When it becomes apparent that your dreams are not coming true, what do you do? Listen, this is not the time to take things into your own hands. This is when you need to lean into God. This is when you need to press into God. When your dreams are not happening, when life is not turning out the way you thought, life, life and it's just not happening for you. It doesn't mean that your life is spinning out of control. It just means that you are not in control. And it's in those moments that you need to lean into, that you need to press into the only one that ever has control in the first place. 
And I get it. I really do. The emotions that go along with a broken dream, the emotions that go along with unmet expectations are strong. And these, these emotions will drive you to drink too much, to use drugs, to try to numb yourself, to control too much, even to say too much. These emotions can drive you to do things that you swore you would never do, and it can wreck your life. And if you were honest and you would admit some of your greatest regrets in your life are the decisions you made, paths you chose, people you hooked up with, words you said in the season of your life when one of your dreams isn't coming true, how much better would it be for your life? And for some of you, this emotion, this issue has drove you away from God because of your broken dream, your unmet expectations. It's why you left the church. See, you had a dream. You had an expectation. And it didn't happen. And so you just gave up. You left. Just because my will won't be done doesn't mean that God's will won't be done. I'm not going to try and control and maintain that which I can't control and maintain. I'm not going to wrap my faith around my hopes and dreams. This is not the script that I would write but hey, I'm not God. I will not abandon, I, I may abandon my dream, but I will not abandon my God. We try to hold on to our dream that we think is our dream so much. What happens is we squeeze it, we try to hold on, we try to hold on, and it actually squeezes right out of our fingers. Just like Play-Doh, if you took Play-Doh and squeezed it. Or maybe water, you tried to have water in your hand, you try to squeeze it, it's just going to leave. And we try to do that. We hang on so tightly. I just want to ask you. I'm going to ask you something right now. And I want you to be as bold and honest as you can. This is going to be opposite of what we normally do. We just say, bow your heads, raise your hands. I want, we're going to do, do this, you know, eyes wide open, eyes looking around. And I just want you to raise your hand. How many of you in your life have unmet dreams, unmet expectations in your life? How many of you? Okay, everybody, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around. Go ahead. This is, this is okay to look around. Look at how many people. And those people who don't have their hands up, they're either one, they're either lying. Just kidding. Or they haven't run into that situation yet. Because we all have them. We all have things in our life that haven't happened yet for us. In a minute, I'm going to pray for you guys. David had to get to the point where he would say, not my dream, not my picture of the way my life should be, but your dream, God, your will, God. Then what? Then what do we do? We're going to talk about this next week. But today starts by you letting go. It starts when, when, when you start letting go of the tight grasp you have on our dreams and our expectations. And I'm just going to tell you it starts with you. So here's the question. Where in your life are you tempted to control the outcomes? For me, my greatest temptation is not to chase the ridiculously evil things, but to chase after the deceptively good things. <laughs> That's my thing. I'm always chasing after those things that are good, and I forget what's best. And we need to stop controlling. We need to stop lying. We need to stop manipulating the situation. And we need to have open hands. Because if we squeeze it, it's just going to slip out. And we need to follow God as he would allow us to. I'm going to pray. I want the worship team to come up. We're going to sing this really cool song about worship, about following. Just I want you to listen to the words as we sing.
I think God wants to speak to some of you today because I think the reason why some of you are here is to hear the words, you're not in control. Stop lying. Stop manipulating. Let go. And let God. Let God do what He wants because His dreams are better. His will is better for you. His plan is better because you had a plan A. And we think plan B, I'm on my plan B, but maybe that was God's plan A all along. And you just had to get yourself out of the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, well, I know that we just, this is so hard because a lot of us come from avenues of broken dreams, we, lives of broken dreams, and it's why we're in the mess we're in, whether it's financial mess or whether it's you know, addictions, whether it's a marriage that's in trouble, whether it's uh, relationships that are in trouble. Um, some of those things, we try to control it. I just ask, Lord, the hands that were raised, Lord, man, it's just numerous. We've all been there. We've all been broken. We've all had these dreams that didn't happen. These expectations that were unmet. And it just broke us. And, we, and some of us, we've tried to lie our way to try to hold on to that dream. we tried to manipulate to try to hold on to that dream. Lord, I just want to say today, may we come with our hands open before you and say no more. We want to follow you and your will for us because it is a good, pleasing, perfect will when we follow our will, we only get into trouble. Lord, I just pray that in our hearts right now that you just move and you, you give us the courage. Give us the, give us the courage to lay it out before you. To give it up. To let go. May, may, the, may the light bulb come on today about the reality. And may, may we see those times that you have been faithful in our past so we could trust you with our future. Lord, and there may be people here today that don't know you, but as they think about their life in the past, maybe they've seen you, and they didn't know what to call it. But maybe there's something you did in their life, and maybe they're trying to, uh, uh, trying to, to try to figure it out themselves, and maybe they just need you today. Maybe they just need you to work in their life today to say, you know, I've tried it without God. Maybe I need to try it with God. Lord, would you move in their heart today as well? Lord, I know this is so hard because our emotions and everything we have get so wrapped up in our life. But what is a life without you? What is a life without you being there? I can't imagine it, Lord. Forgive me for those times that I put my dream and expectations ahead of you where I've given up my God-given principles, my God-given values to pursue a God-given dream. Lord, may I walk in the path that you've laid out for me. Though I may not understand it, Lord, I don't want to be like the marionette trying to manipulate you, trying to manipulate anything, Lord. I just ask that you would work. I'm just going to ask if there's anyone here today that maybe you don't have a relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't understand that God sent his son here for each one of us so we could give up control, so he could walk with us in a personal hand-holding relationship. He died on the cross to forgive us, to wipe it away, to give us life, not only just a little bit, but give us life to the full, to overflowing. 
I don't know if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. You need that relationship. You need that person to walk with you today. I'm just going to ask you boldly, lift your hand up so I can pray for you. That if you say, you know, I want that relationship with God today. I don't know if there's anyone here, is there? Oh, all right. Bless you, man. Anyone else? Anyone else just says, I, I need that relationship? Lord, I, I thank you for the life that's come to you today, that's come to know you today. That says, you know, I can't do it on my own. I, I need, I need you. I, I pray that you help her, guide her, walk alongside her, and show her what that is. But I ask right now you just give her peace. That she can give up control. Lord, for all of us, as we just worship you, May you reign. May you be in control. May we let go even in this moment. In your name I pray. Amen.